Hi, this is Pastor Andrew here at Oak Ridge Baptist Church in San Antonio, Texas. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can check us out online at www.orbcnet.com. Better yet, come by and visit us at the corner of Wurzbach and Vance Jackson in northwest San Antonio. God, I ask that you would come and fall upon me, that you would fill me up with your Holy Spirit, that I would be able to effectively preach your word to your people. Lord, you know all of my, all of my deficiencies. You know all of my brokenness. You know all of my fears. Lord, I ask that you would banish those things right now. All my anxiety, all of the things that separate me from you right now, 
I ask that you would drive them away. Oh Lord, that I would be left ready and able to do the task that you have given me. Lord, I ask these things in the holy name of your son, Jesus. Amen. We are now two weeks into 2021. And just two days ago, we, all of us, were shocked with the images that we saw coming from the nation's capital. So Headdress standing in front of the speaker's podium. And what's instructive about the place that we find. opposed view. It was not fair. It was not equal. And it was stolen. You have another group of people that are absolutely sure that nothing untoward happened. Everything happened in just the right way. And everybody who thinks otherwise is stupid. We have lost. Evaluate evidence and truth has eroded. And this is not the last. Look at the reports. We now have diametrically opposed views of what happened. One group of people says Donald Trump instigated a riot in order to affect a coup. The other group of people said, no, no, these were patriots. probably on both sides of the issue, and not... In fact, if we look throughout the history of the world over the last 10 years, we can see that lies like this, lies on both sides like this, are the stock and trade of people who seek to destabilize nations. And yet we continue to go back 
day in and day out and suckle at the sweet nectar of lies that make us feel good. All of us know that Facebook is not a reasonable or reliable source for news. Now I find myself every morning clicking that little F to get my fix. How do we find what is true? How can we know what is true? Brothers and sisters, this is not new to God's people. Indeed, the story that we have this morning comes in the midst of a crisis in the Jewish people because they can't figure out what is true. We've been going through the Gospel of John and John, as we have talked about, is kind of organized in these cycles, these different cycles of things that are happening. They usually begin with a sign and they end with a discourse by Jesus explaining that sign. This morning's passage comes at the end of a cycle that began with Jesus healing a man by the waters of Bethesda. If you guys remember many, many weeks ago, it seems like years ago, it was a year ago, actually. We talked about Jesus coming into Jerusalem in the midst of a festival. And he comes into the city that's in the midst of this festival, and he sees this doleful sight. He comes to this pool, and he finds that it is surrounded by sick people and everybody waiting for the water to move so they can desperately try to be healed. It is an image that is woeful. It is an image that is filled with pathos. And as he heals, couldn't do this, I'll apologize, next time I'll heal people not on the Sabbath. No, he comes at them. He begins to criticize them. He begins to not just criticize them, he begins to take upon himself an identity that is offensive. He begins to claim to be related to God. And from this point, the Jewish leaders have to decide how they're going to respond. They can either accept him as the Messiah or they can kill him. That this is the point that they begin. He begins to lay out his identity.
now he is about to drive the knife home. And so he begins this morning by saying, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just because I seek not my own. My testimony is not. He has come to judge, and his judgment will be just because his actions are dictated to him by God. Now, he understands when he says this, that this is going to immediately put him in conflict with the leaders. It's going to put him on the block of scrutiny. He has stood up, and now he knows that all the questions are going to start coming at him. He has claimed to be just, and his defense is that he has not compromised himself by self-interest. And so he begins to defend himself. His defense will not be based on his own statements either. Or his testimony. His defense will be based on witnesses. All this time, Jesus has been defending himself, but he acknowledges that if his testimony about himself is not backed up by other testimony, then his testimony is invalid. This is in keeping with Jewish law, which said that you cannot convict somebody unless you have two or three witnesses. He's saying, I'm going to produce some witnesses. So let's talk about those witnesses. We need to understand is that Christ's ministry is true because it reflects the truth of God. It is founded on Christ's obedience to the will of God. And as we search for truth, it is important that we hold on to this. As we navigate the world of fake news and propaganda, we need to understand that God is the wellspring of all truth. When we scrape all of the junk aside, when we dig down to its most basic, to that which is most fundamental, if we do not find God, we have not found truth. This is important because it means that truth is fixed and that it does not change. Hear me. One of the large, biggest lies that we have been fed in the last... Circumstances change. But if God is unchanging and he is the basis of truth, then truth does not change. You don't have my truth and your truth. There is one truth and that truth based on God and on his
Baptist. In verse 33, he says, You sent to John the Baptist, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I received is from man, but I say these things to you that you may be saved. He was a burning light, a shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. What is he doing here? He's reminding the Jewish leaders. You sent to John the Baptist. He didn't come to you. John the Baptist didn't go to Jerusalem. John the Baptist camped out in the wilderness. He wore funky clothes and ate weird food, and everybody flocked to him. Why did they flock to him? The same reason we all flock to weird people, because there's a ring of authenticity. This is not a guy who is trying to sell himself to you. This is a guy who does not care what you think about him. He's eating locusts dipped in wild honey. How could he care what you think? Yet, everyone flocked to him. And the Jewish leaders were desperate to understand who this guy was. They came to John the Baptist because he exhibited all the trappings of being a prophet. After 400 years of silence from God, they finally got a guy who rings true to be a prophet. And so they flocked to him. He dresses like a prophet. He speaks like a prophet. And his ministry shined like... brood of vipers and they were like tell me more it was like the axe is laid at the root of the tree and all who don't bear fruit will be cast into the outer darkness and they're like really then what happened and you don't accept me. What's going on with that? The next witness that Jesus points to is the testimony of his own works. He says, John did amazing things, but everything that he did pales in comparison to the things that I've done. He says, but the testimony that I have is greater than that of John for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish. The very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. They valued John, and rightly so. He was a mighty prophet, the greatest of the prophets. And yet his works pale in comparison. Jesus has healed the sick, given sight to the blind, cured lepers, made the lame walk. He's cast out demons. He's calmed storms. In our next story, he's going to feed thousands of people. He's going to walk on the water, and eventually he will raise the dead. He preaches with authority and his preaching changes lives. His ministry is imbued with obvious and undeniable power. Power that can only originate from the one true living God. And yet the leaders ignore these signs and deny his authority. See, he has been attested to by the final prophet and by his own amazing ministry, and yet Jesus is not done yet. He has also been attested to by God himself. 
And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and yet you do not have in you, for you do not believe the one whom he sent. God sent angels to proclaim the birth of Christ. He declared Jesus to be his son verbally at Christ's baptism and his death. He will rend the heavens and shake the ground. So much so that a pagan Roman soldier will say, surely this is the Son of God. But the people cannot hear him. And this is where Christ's offense begins. This is where he begins to critique the Jews themselves. See, Moses had heard the voice of God, but they are no true followers of Moses. Otherwise, they would have heard God's voice in Christ. He is pointed to Christ as his beloved son, but the people can't see him. They have never seen God's form. Israel, their father, saw God, but they are no true sons of Israel. The people can't see or hear because the word of God does not abide in them. This word abide is important. What does abide mean? Generally, the word abide means to obey or to follow or to reverence. Jesus is telling them that they have the evidence, but they can't understand it because something is missing in their heart. They have the word of God, but it doesn't abide in their hearts. They possess God's word in abundance, but they have not let it possess them. They read, but they don't understand. They reverence it, but they don't truly worship the one who spoke the words. They have the word of God, but they have not let it penetrate their hard hearts. And so when they come into contact with the word of God, they can't recognize it. He then expands on this point by addressing the testimony of the scriptures. He says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Come to me that you may have life. See, he is acknowledging to the Jews that they reverence scripture. They reverence it. Now, there is huge benefits in the Jews' reverencing of Scripture. One of the reasons that we have such a reliable transmission of the Bible to us is because of the reverence that the Jews had for the spoken word. We can look at biblical texts that are separated by hundreds, if not thousands of years, and see that they have not changed in the transmission as one scribe wrote it. And then another copied and another copied and another copied. We have an accurate transmission of Scripture. But there is a difference between writing something down accurately and understanding what it means. The great Jewish leader Hillel said, the more Scripture that a man brings in, the more life he takes into himself. And the Jewish scribes devoted their lives to reading the scripture. They reverenced the scriptures. And yet, they loved God's word, but they hated the one that it pointed to. He tells them, you refuse to come to me. And he's stressing the activity of their will. 
The Jews have set themselves against the one to whom their scriptures have pointed. And we get these images of Christ as he cries out in the Gospel of Luke. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often have I longed to gather together you as a hen gathers her chickens under her wings, but you were not willing. There is a tender eagerness. about being God's son. His identity, his ministry, his authority have all been attested by multiple highly reputable witnesses, but they do not believe the witnesses. In Bible talk, person for a dangerous place for a non-believer to be is in regular attendance at a church because in it they can gain the illusion that they're saved their life can be so immersed in bible talk in bible act they don't that they do not realize that their heart is still dead oh search your hearts brothers and sisters search your hearts Ask yourselves, why do I not do the things that I am told to do in Scripture? Unless the Word of God abides in your heart, unless you are listening to Him and devoted to Him, you will not find truth. See, truth comes from God and can only be truly found by those whose hearts abide in his word. And so Christ concludes his defense by attacking the root of these people's unbelief. In verse 41, he says, I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hopes. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my word? See, Christ doesn't seek his own glory. Christ has been accused. He is claiming the glory and prerogative of God, but Christ declares that he is not seeking the glory of men. He doesn't care what they think about him. 
He knows that he is bound for opposition. He knows that these same men are going to yell, crucify, crucify. We have no king but Caesar. He is not whining. He's not sitting there like, why don't you like me? Oh, please, would you like me more? I'll give you more candy. I'll heal you more if you just like me. How pathetic. That's not what Christ is doing. Christ is looking into the eyes of men who we know will condemn him, and he is pleading for them to change. Christ has come in his Father's name, but the people don't care about the Father's name. This is why they have enthusiasm Messiah that has sprung up over the last several hundred years. This is why they followed warrior after warrior into the desert. They refuse to accept the Messiah that God has sent because they are looking for someone that looks like them. Someone with their own priorities and their own values. Somebody who makes them feel good about themselves. And one thing Jesus did not do. No one can read the works of the Bible. Nobody can read the Gospels and see the health and wealth gospel come out of it. Jesus' number one message is repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent does not, does not mean by any stretch of the imagination, I'm okay, you're okay, and we're all okay. Okay? Repent means you're on the wrong track. Turn and be healed. That's the message that he is preaching to these people. He's saying, you're not good in and of yourselves. You need to change. But the Jews don't want to change. Their belief in Christ is blocked by their desire for earthly glory. God has sent a humble Messiah with a gospel of humility and sacrifice to draw people from their self-sufficiency and pride, and they can't accept him because he's not the hero that they want to follow. They don't want to die to themselves. They want to conquer. They don't want to embrace the poverty and suffering of a servant king that has no place to lay his head. They want a mighty king to rival and displace Caesar. They don't accept him because the cost of accepting him is too high. Because of their unbelief, they stand condemned by Moses, the writer of their own. officials sick they don't even acknowledge the
See, the Jewish leaders had not been abiding in the word of God because they had allowed other things to push the word of God from their hearts. The Jews could not accept the authority of Christ because their hearts were closed to the truth. Their hearts were closed to the truth of the gospel by pride. They couldn't see the glory of God revealed in Christ because they were blinded by their own earthly glory. They had stopped abiding in the love of God and their comfort and their security came not from God but from their own view of themselves and their view of the world that they lived in. They were the aggrieved going to come in and save. And they did not look at all at the people that they aggrieved or the ones that they oppressed. They had learned all the lessons that they needed to learn. And now they were content to wait on God to come and save them as they were. They didn't want to change. And so when Jesus came declaring a gospel of change and rebirth, they rejected him. And brothers and sisters, we are no different. We are in danger of missing God's truth when we do not abide in his word. When we do not allow his love to live in us. See, the search for truth begins with a heart abiding in the word of God. All truth begins with God. And we must search for truth in his word and draw his word into our hearts. See, God holds all truth and he is not shy about sharing that truth with his people. Somewhere we get the idea that God is ineffable, that God is not communicative, that he's mysterious and he doesn't tell us what he wants us to know. not reticent about his promises they are clear to us in scripture God is not a mysteriously silent God he is a pretty transparent God about what he wants us to do if it's hard to understand God's will it's because we're ignoring it because we don't like it and we're hoping that he'll change his mind about who we marry, about how we live our lives, about how we do our taxes, about how we conduct our business. We're hoping that if we just hold on long enough, that God will be like, meh, okay. I will tell you that I am very guilty of allowing my children to wear me down at the end of the evening. Eight o'clock rolls around, they're supposed to be in bed. They're still not in bed. And I'm tired. And they've got it down, they do the rope-a-dope. Well, one hits me, and then the other hits me, and then one hits me, and then the other hits me, and they got me on the ropes, and I'm like, oh, I don't care. <laughs> Go to sleep. That's not how God is. God isn't going to change his mind. If you do not submit to the rock of ages, the rock of ages will crush you. It's like that big boulder in Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. You don't with that boulder. You don't resist that boulder. 
that big boulder crushes you, you get out of the way. If we would know God's will, we must read his word. But it's not just about reading his word. Because the Jews had his word. See, for the Jews, the word of God was his scripture, but for us, it also refers to Christ himself. He is the divine logos, and he must abide in us as surely as his word abides in us. If we have God's word, but we don't have his son, then we have nothing. What does he tell us in John 15? He says, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and me in him, he is that, that will bear much fruit. Whoever, for apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. When Jesus talks about abiding, he's talking about trusting in something as the bedrock of our existence. We abide in Christ when we make him the center of our world, the object of our affections, the source of all our abilities. We abide in God when we abide in Christ, and we abide in Christ when we make him the center of all that we are. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And everything else will be gathered to you. Brothers and sisters, we will not know truth until the word of Christ abides in our heart. We will never know truth until God is the bedrock of our existence. All truth comes from God and we will not find that truth if our hearts do not abide in the love of his son. You cannot find truth apart from a relationship with God. Relationships to each other. A man does not have to love God to love his wife or his children. A scientist does not have to love God to be able to effectively measure nature around him. A philosopher doesn't have to know Christ to be able to plumb the depths of the human heart. But see, if our hearts do not abide in the love of God, we will never be able to fully understand or apply any of the truths we gather. We may wonder at the matter, do not abide in Christ, then wonder will putrefy into self-love and idolatry. So I, it's amazing to me whenever I read naturalists and they talk about nature, as if nature is making decisions. Oh, you know, nature is so, is so adjusted, you know, look how well adapted nature has made this, this animal. It's like... Nature is an impersonal force. You told me it's just chance and time and energy. Like, that's what you told me. How can it decide anything? Oh, it's your heart that is so desperate for something to be there that you have to personify nature. We may plumb the depths of our own minds and philosophy and come to deep and profound truths about the human experience. 
But if we don't abide in Christ, we will invariably come to the conclusion that life is meaningless. If you do not have Christ, the logical extension of philosophy is nihilism. Nothing matters and everything is a farce. You want to see what it looks like when you hit rock bottom without God, read some Albert Camus who tells us that hell is other people. We may even read the scriptures, brothers and sisters, studying into the night and days as these Jewish men did, but without Christ abiding in our hearts, we will grow proud and cold towards the wonder of God as men like Bart Ehrman have, biblical scholars whose hearts turned away from God and who spend their days dragging Christ's name through the mud. Brothers and sisters, we live in a world filled with lies and those lies calibrated to play on our self-love and our desire for glory, our desire to be esteemed or our hatred or our fear of other people. And the only way through the swamp is by abiding in Christ and allowing his word to abide in us. This means studying his words and testing everything that we see or hear on what we know about God. When the world holds us up a Messiah, somebody who's going to save us all, who's going to make a particular viewpoint, we can know this isn't going to end well. You put your faith in chariots, you put your faith in kings, those kings will fail you every single time. But it, it's more than this. As annoying as politics is, as disheartening as the things that we're seeing are, that's not where most of our pain comes from. See, in our personal lives, abiding in his truth means very often ignoring the lies that the devil tells us, the destructive little lies that are whispered into our ear on a daily basis by one who does not want our good. A little lie that you are only as good as your Facebook profile, that your self-worth is tied up in how many people like or swipe or share the things that you put out there. We live in a world where social media has begun to invade our lives to the point where we do things simply so that we can post them. And our lives and our energy is tied into those things to the point where when something that we share is not liked or shared or commented on the way that we want it to be, we experience very real emotional pain. The lies that the devil tells us that we're not good enough for God's mercy or that we are so good that we don't need his mercy. Most importantly, though, he reminds us of all of our past failures he shows us that we'll never be any better. So why even try? Most importantly, though, dwelling, abiding in the word of God means learning to listen to his voice in our hearts as he tells us the truth that counteracts the devil's lies. That is, the devil tells us that we are worthless, that we are not worthy of love. 
that he gave everything for us. That our worth and our meaning and our purpose in life are found in Christ. That we are cared for by one who controls everything. That there is hope. Even when things seem hopeless. And that God is in control. That he is working all things together for the good of those who love him. There's truth in this world. If you have the courage and the humility to search for it. So my question to you today is do you want to know what is true? If you do, I want to make one statement. Christ is true. In him, all the answers to all of your other questions lie. If you want to know the truth, seek Christ. In a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation. If you have never made a decision to follow Christ, if you want to seek the truth that is in him, I would encourage you to come forward so that we can pray with you or for you. If you know Christ, but you're lost in this web of lies, come forward and pray at these steps. Accept the grace and forgiveness and hope that are already yours. I don't know where you are right now, but we lift this time up to you as a time to respond. Please join Thanks for listening to this sermon, part of the teaching ministry at Oak Ridge Baptist Church. If you'd like more information about Oak Ridge, you can go to www.orbcnet.com.